1: Hello and welcome to on the farm picture list podcast about all things prospect dynasty and minor league related. I'm your host Lamar Gibson
2: and I'm your host Jake Makesh
1: and today we're looking at the amateur ranks. We're actually going to be talking college baseball a little bit with college baseball underway. So Jake and I will be covering some of the early college prospects guys that are currently ranking uh, in the top 10 or so on early 2023 draft lists. Uh, it's gonna be about eight players today. We got three pitchers and five hitters. Uh, but before we get into the topic of the day, Jake, anything that stood out now that we have our first spring training games uh underway? Yeah, so that was the uh first time that we got to see some of the new rules uh
2: come into play. Um the pitch clock, everyone there's that's the hot topic on Twitter right now, I mm-hmm. think, is the pitch clock. I personally really enjoyed it watching baseball like on TV. I know I'm going to hate it in person um, Mm -hmm. because like, I feel like the games already went quick in person. And so now it's just going to be worse. Um, Like I I want more time at the park. Right. Um, But watching it on TV, I think it's nice because I think when I watched baseball, something that I was always able to like do something else while I'm watching it, Mm -hmm. you know, you could watch it passively really easily. Um, And now I feel like a lot more engaged, like watching these spring training games. Like I don't like, I don't really want to miss like it's happening. You know, um, and so it was an interesting change of pace. Um, and I think that the players are gonna get used to it. There's a whole lot of infractions because everyone's still, mm-hmm. you know, getting the uh getting it um getting
1: used to it. So yeah, yeah, shaking the cobwebs out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so my point of view is this. Um it is is fascinating to me, quite honestly. It let me come straight forward and say I have no problems with the pitch clock. Uh, if you've watched minor league baseball or pay attention to minor league baseball in the last couple of years, like I don't really see why you would have an issue with this. Um, If you haven't, obviously it's, it's a a bit newer. So um, I have no problem with it. What I find fascinating is, um, and like you said, this being the discourse on Twitter, the amount of overlap, especially from fantasy analysts that also watch some other teams, like major North American team sport, hockey, basketball, football, like, that's all you see the. I, I just don't understand that you see the clock all the time in the broadcast of the game because that's become another complaint. Like, oh, this clock is interfering with my view. It's like they have clocks all the time. I yep. don't. I don't even. I haven't watched football regularly in about a decade or so. But even just watching the Super Bowl, I did watch the Super Bowl, and it's just like there's just clocks. You watch basketball, there's clock. Like even I know having. I don't think ever watched really a hockey game maybe once or twice in my life. But like, there's a clock there in the broadcast. I just don't. And the idea of like, but baseball is different. Okay. But it's different for the sake of being different or different because there's actual reason to, and there's not really a reason to. And I think it's just, it's interesting to me. I'm going to soapbox a little bit. I'll be honest, because it is a little bit of an irritant to me because It really seems like the arguments all boil down to because it's never been done before. And I I think that that is the worst argument for anything is because we've never done it that way. Right. Like that's not a reason for anything. And in fact, most of the worst things in the world occur because people have that mentality. Right. We've never done that way that way before. So we're not going to change it. So like I love baseball. I enjoy watching it in person whenever I can. I enjoy watching it on TV when I can. Uh, no, these sports are not all the same interchangeable. However, uh, you know, when you think about who's this for, I asked my wife last night and I said, okay, I didn't tell her anything about rule change or anything. I just said, Hey, if I told you that every baseball game would be two hours and 15 minutes, exactly. Would you start watching baseball now? And she was like, exactly two hours and 15 minutes, like every game. And so we kind of went back and forth. I said, sure. Okay, cool. We'll make it every single game. No exceptions. And she said, well, I'd be more interested in going to see it in person. Well, there you go, right? My wife does not care about baseball at all. Never has and probably never really will, which is completely fine. But to have somebody who could even be a casual viewer of like, oh, a baseball game is on. And I know it's not just going to be me trying to watch and literally nothing happening while I try to watch on TV, let alone in person. I think, yeah, like that's good for the game. And then, when you get into obviously the younger viewership, which is where baseball is really hemorrhaging, right? Like you said, being more engaged, literally to the point of you have to get people off their phones to pay attention to your games. Basketball, not really a problem because the other the other piece of that is basketball, even if you're on your phone and you're watching the game and kind of two screening it or whatever the announcers in the like that will pull your attention right lebron james makes a great play you'll hear that and you'll oh what happened And oh here's the replay. oh wow okay that's great football has it down to a science we all know this right like they know we're going to cut all this dead time we're going to cut all this stuff we're going to talk through what happened the last play just in enough time so that when the next snap happens it's right there and it never stops right even though technically in football there's a lot of dead space the the production value in the broadcast makes it seem like there's never any dead space right there's something always happening um and baseball is just lagged behind in that and so we gotta hear some story from a guy like from an announcer and while that announcer's is happening the catcher and pitcher gotta talk and then uh the pitcher has to you know walk around the mound and think about you know what he just heard from the catcher a little bit and then and it's like that's not really a pleasurable viewing experience. Like nobody wants to watch that. Even as a baseball fan, like that's not what I'm tuning in to see <laughs> at all. Right. Um The announcers, oh, and, man, yeah. they I you know there's some I
2: think they're getting a little better, but like sometimes you're trying to gain and it's just this guy who played in 1980 talking about the way it used to be and it drives me insane every single time john smoltz i <laughs> and him i can't stand well him.
1: here's here's something that i find and, and and i promise you we'll both uh i promise the listeners we will get off the soapbox uh and actually get to, to talking about what we're talking about today but the other thing that i find interesting is that now you have two clashing um philosophies it, it, it's kind of um they they're they're going against each other because the same people it seems i have not scientifically polled this but it seems the same people that are so adamant about the pitch clock being uh at least a, a great annoyance to them and and their love of the game are the same people that are like Launch angle, terrible. Exit velocity, terrible. You know, why don't they bunt down? You know, shift, terrible. Why don't they bunt down? And it's like, so you want the action of the 1980s. Do you think the 1980s took three hours for St. Louis and Kansas City? Like, do you think it took, you know, a Reds-Cardinals game three and a half hours to get done? No. So... Like, they were like two and a half. They
2: were at two and a half in like the seventies, eighties. Right. 90s. So like
1: if you want yeah. the actions of the seventies and eighties, then you should also want something that will pro- help propel that action forward because the um the play, the dynamic of play clearly isn't coming back. So if you want that sort of everything something's always happening, the games are moving, it's interesting to watch. If the players aren't going to start slapping the ball around like they're Vince Coleman, which they're clearly not. Which is fine. Like I, I'm, I'm not here to disparage them, but like that's not happening. So then, some other incentive needs to have. Some other lever has to get pulled if that's what you want is that sort of pace of play. And the pitch clock seems to be doing. It. I mean, we're seeing the results just from the first couple of spring training games. We're seeing that you know everybody's posting time two hours fifteen minutes, two and a half hours. You know, it's like there are movies like Avatar is longer than these these spring training games, and. I'm just not interested in watching yet another 807 start time for Yankees Red Sox. And it doesn't end until midnight. Like it's just not interesting to me. It's not. Especially
2: when you have the, like the big, like the ESPN Sunday night baseball broadcast that draw it out already. Um, It's brutal. It's brutal. Uh, And yeah, I think, yeah, I think it'll be good. And like, you know, the infractions I think will be very, very rare by the time we get into like June, you know? Yeah. Like I it was Eno you know, Sayers tweeted um that when they introduced the pitch clocks yeah. in the minor leagues for the first two weeks uh-huh. it was about two infractions a mm-hmm. game and then after six weeks it in was one every other game, yeah. I think. Like they'll get used to it. They're yeah. fine. Yeah. They're major league players. Yeah. Like and the pitchers, um I think a lot of pitchers were very quick. Like p- pitchers were going with like eight, nine seconds right. left on the clock, six, you right. know, like i think they'll settle into a groove
1: it'll be fine it's and so i think that's another area that people were saying you know what's gonna happen now i do think the injury piece i think will be interesting right like is it more susceptible uh pitchers more susceptible to injuries because of that recovery time in between throwing your hardest i think okay that's that's an interesting thing to watch and that's fair but i think um and and i um can't credit the person i saw bring this up and i apologize but I did see somebody somewhere bring up the point of like, is it possible that most of these pitches were taking so long because they were allowed to like, why not? Like there's no, there, there's no, right. There's no penalty to taking the longest. It, it's, you know, if, if a quarter is, is, again, if we go back to football, if, or basketball, right. If you were allowed, if there was no shot clock again in basketball, like there used to not be, there was a reason why those games are low scoring because the, I have no incentive really to try to score Unless it's super obvious that I can score a basket. Otherwise, I can just kind of pass and dribble the ball around and waste mm-hmm. time. We see, if, if you ever watch soccer, happens in soccer all the time, mm-hmm. right? They're just, hey, we got a lead, and now we're just going to waste time because there's right. a penalty to us wasting time Right? Um, if you know how to do it, right? And I think for pitchers, it's the same thing. There's no penalty to me taking, you know, forever on the mound. And stepping off and throwing over and all you know all this sort of stuff. Now you have a sort of penalty. Now, cool. I can I can throw as fast as you know, pretty much you, you know, uh, uh, you want me to. So, yeah, I, I think I'm seeing a lot of strawman arguments, and I just find it very interesting um, to 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 see it. Like I said, it all seems to come back to this hasn't been done before, and for some reason, baseball. Fans, analysts, whomever, whatever titles they would to carry themselves, it's just like change bad, change change no good. DH bad, interleague play bad. You know, it's just like change bad. They yeah. leave it exactly there's, how it was in nineteen oh two. It's like, come on now, we gotta be. Bad. There's something about America's pastime
2: that makes people really nostalgic for baseball, right? It's like this fiber of society, and I like I totally agree. It's a huge part of my life. It's a huge part of like my relationship with my dad, and like. All of these things, right? And people get so nostalgic for it, I think. And there's so much like lore to the game, mm-hmm. and that when it all of a sudden, when it becomes really modern, um, and there's not a there's not a lot of not a lot of young fans in baseball, and the young fans are like kind of what MLB is really doing this for, you know? Because um, when you're competing with with iPhones, you can't. You, like the attention spans right. of right. of not only young kids but like everyone now the attention spans are incredibly quick and so you have to keep people engaged. Um and the the MLB doesn't have a lot of casual fans. You know, maybe this increases the amount of casual fans and, and that's that's game, it. Right like now. that's
1: where the money yeah. is, right? If you look at right. the the Super Bowl and we can wrap up here, but if you look at again going back to the Super Bowl, um that's that's the allure really is you don't have to have watched any any football at all, they'll tell you everything. This team is good because of this reason. This team is here because of this reason. Here's things that you need to watch. And then boom, once we get into the game, there's something for everybody to watch, right? Somebody's going to watch for the ads. Somebody's watching for a halftime show. Some people are actually watching because they want this team to win gambling, like all that sort of stuff. And it's to draw in, hey, casual person, You kind of know that this is a big deal, right? You kind of know something. Come on and watch us, right? We don't care that you don't know what happened in week three. Like, we don't care that you don't. It doesn't matter. Just come and watch. This is all you need to know. Um, watching and, sports isn't ex, isn't exclusive right you know and it so, shouldn't be you wait.
2: shouldn't have to know so much about baseball like when i like when i first started dating emma and we started getting into baseball like there's so many questions and so why did that happen why can't Why was an infield fly rule right you know what's all of these right. why can't the her big thing is like uh drop any strike like you should be able to run if the ball gets away no matter what and it's like you have to explain these little things and a lot of the times for me it comes down to i don't know that's the way they decided in 1864. Right. you know like right and that's there's so much intricacy there, right. and so I think kind of breaking some of that down and just making it more
1: palatable. Um, any way we could do that, yeah, great, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So that's 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 so boxing, but um, I appreciate you in, indulging me there, Jake. I'm glad we're on the <laughs> same page, uh,
0: so we don't yeah, have to right. fight about that.
1: Um, oh, um let's get into the topic. So, spring training, um, I, as far as anything else that's that I obviously work um early on, uh, and it was only what one, one, two games that uh, we've gotten underway. I think outside of the pitch clock being the, you know, the big thing, I think it's very interesting to see uh, how much people are really paying attention to prospects now, because we've seen Mm -hmm. some prospect heavy lineups being rolled out uh, with split squad uh, early on. And and just some teams kind of early throwing their guys out there. Now, some of that is obviously just management of the veterans, right? They kind of want to ramp up getting closer to the actual start of the season let the young guys kind of take the early reps, et cetera. But this is a good time if you're in dynasty to be paying attention to those lineups, paying attention to the results, you know, how, how guys are doing early on. So um, uh, I would encourage you, whether you can catch a broadcast uh, I know Orioles not broadcasting most of their spring training games again, thanks for that. But anyways, uh, you know, if you, however, you can catch teams, uh, whether it is through, actual broadcast um, or just keeping up on MOB game day or whatever the case may be. Uh, now is a good time just to be, you know, checking, checking some guys out. Uh, my go-to is this is the time. And we kind of hinted at this last episode with uh, Nick. Now is the time for me where I'm looking at relievers. Like I don't care about relievers until now. Now is the time because now is going to be when there's some 27, 28 year old, He's kind of been bouncing around from, you know, a couple of different uh, organizations uh, up and down, you know, double AA, A, triple A. He seemed like a quad A guy. And this past offseason, he found this one new grip on this one pitch and now it's unlocked it for him. And now he's just blowing guys away and nobody saw him coming. Right. That's how I found Felix Batista. That's how I found Alexis Diaz. Um, year before, that's how I found Garrett Whitlock. He was a Rule 5 guy, so I knew he was going to get burned. Uh, with the Red Sox automatically. And then he, so now's the time to find those types of players. Um, in my opinion, because they're all every year, there's at least one, if not a couple, you just got to pay attention and you got to, you got to do some due diligence. There's some b- manual box score analysis that you're probably going to have to do, but um, it's going to reap dividends. Cause again, if you have Felix Bautista, if you had Alexa Diaz, like, boom, that was just automatic. Like put them in, Your K's are looking good. Saves and holes are looking good. And it was super cheap. You're not trading for anybody. You're not paying out the nose to get anybody. It's just right there. It falls in your lap.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, you can, the, it's really easy to look at. I think some of the prospects that are doing great things right now. And it's easy. It's a little bit more accessible because it's major league spring training. It's not minor league games. And you see some of these guys on TV for the first time. Um, and there's definitely going to be some hype. There's definitely going to be some guys um, pushed up boards and whatnot. But it is just, at the end of the day, it's just fun to see these guys, you know, against good good competition. Um, like, Ellie De La Cruz is getting his first start today. This is Sunday that we're recording uh, for the Reds. And it's just like, that's a cool opportunity. You know, like, if he goes over for 4 with 3Ks, not really going to change my opinion of him. But, like, these guys are getting the chance to... um you know, to, to play for, for jobs. And I think that's, that's always exciting and, and to see how guys react to that. Um, but yeah, as far as individual performances, my two, my two favorite, two of my favorite sleepers on the giants did really well uh, in their first game, Blake Sable and Casey Schmidt. They absolutely showed out. I'm really excited about those two. Schmidt had an incredible diving play to his right through across the diamond. Uh, and he crushed, crushed a homer sweet swing. Um, so that was good to see. Sable also hit a homer, had a good game. So, um, you know, you, you see some of those guys and you're like, all right, like validation, know. validation, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: vindication as the, as the gift would say from, it, uh, from Nine Nine. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. It does not mean that they're like, they're, they're going to do it. Yes, make it does. Jake. Yes, or, like, it does. You know, That's exactly like, what it means. Ear, you know? <laughs> That's exactly
1: what it means. If your prospect goes over three with, with, uh, with a bunch of strikeouts, you have to trade them. That's the rule. And if they, right. if they hit home runs, then that means that they're going to be great. And they're headed to the Hall of Fame. That everybody knows this. Yep. I watched uh
2: Jordan Walker's first at bat. He struck out. Yeah. Bust. Terrible. Yeah, bust. bust. Obviously.
1: <laughs> obviously. Terrible. No, uh, we joke. Um, before we jump into uh our first break, uh, I know you know, as we turn our sights to the topic at hand, college baseball. Um, we talked off mic real quick about trying to get into college baseball. Last uh year, we had uh Bradley S- uh Smart join us to do our college baseball preview. And um still hoping to, to get Bradley on sometime this season, maybe closer to the college world series, actually to do a little uh, preview there. But one thing we, we talked about then was struggling to get into college baseball, like kind of how to watch it. Um, it's not as obviously it's not as clean as MLB, but even as minor leagues to kind of know who to watch, where to go. Um, it's a little bit more disjointed. Uh, and I know you had some thoughts, Jake, about, if you're a fan, a baseball fan, a dynasty, you know, fantasy person, um, getting into college baseball, kind of how to address some of those barriers to entry.
2: Yeah. So it's something that I've, I've tried to get into for a few years now. And it, it ends up being something where, you know, I watch a few games maybe during major league spring training, but it's so hard to keep that focus on it when actual when major league baseball is happening, because there's no, um there's really no barriers to major league baseball it's there you know you have the mlb app you have mlb tv if you subscribe to it you know um and it college baseball makes it so difficult to have that kind of access and so um it's really hard to keep up and then you know the college world series comes around and then you're kind of like okay like what's been happening you know um and who's who's gonna uh, you know who's gonna show out there so it's um definitely a grind but if you know, you're someone who's looking at getting into it for the first time, potentially uh, it's watching it is you have to really pick your uh, battles. You have, it's like you have to pick a conference or a team and like subscribe to whatever that conference is on, you know, because there's so many different subscription services that have these games. There is not an MLB TV type thing where you're like, I'm going to buy this and it's going to give me access to all college baseball. Not even close. Um, even like a cable TV, um, that's not a subscription, is it? I don't know what they call that.
1: Um, no, just but but yeah. If you're if you're going through you your get, cable, yeah, if you're going right. If you have cables. cable, if you have satellite TV, right. um,
2: you don't even get it's not you know you don't right. get everything there. You might get like SEC Network, which right. is nice, um, or big like Ten big Network. Big Ten Network, yeah. which big well Big Ten Network for baseball, um, it's on Flow exclusively. I don't, uh, know which is really is. frustrating. I don't even Flow know. Baseball, Flow base like, like Flow Sports has a weird like almost monopoly on a lot of streaming. Um, but it's not great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, it's really, really expensive, like extremely expensive. It's $30 a month for college baseball access. And you just get your guaranteed big 10 games. And then like the coastal plains league, I think games, and then random tournaments, like Mm -hmm. two or three tournaments throughout the year Mm -hmm. for 30 bucks a month. Um, and you know, the, the broadcasts are all right, but like, they don't need to be great. There's no reason for them to be great. You're not competing with much, you know? And so, you know, big tenants flow, you, you got some games on ESPN plus, um, you know, they have some deals with like sec network and, and the PAC 12 network, you know, uh, but like ESPN plus is a
1: subscription on yeah, top of regular which I, ESPN, which I found out, uh, the hard way last year, once I got my package with, with Hulu and, uh, Disney plus and it was like, Oh, ESPN plus cool. College baseball, perfect timing. Except if you don't have ESPN, which I don't, cause I don't, i don't have cable any longer then espn plus is kind of a misnomer because it's really Really? like espn bits and pieces (laughs) it's like there's not really a plus aspect so then i could upgrade to live sports through hulu and then that gave me a little bit more so yeah there's a lot of um like like most of us these days whether you're talking about sports you're talking about movies talking about tv there's a lot of mix and matching to try to address all your needs um so with all that being said, though, Jake, like what what is your approach? Because you weren't with us last season. What's kind of your general approach when you're looking at college baseball from a fantasy standpoint?
2: Yeah, it's you know, you you try to get eyes on these guys as much as possible, but I think you you definitely have to rely on um, some of the people who cover the game. Like um, Kendall Rogers is one of my favorite follows on on Twitter for. Um, college baseball. Um he works for the for d1 baseball.com. Um and that's a great site, but also behind a paywall. Um and like nothing against them. Like they don't like college baseball doesn't make a lot of revenue on its own. Like you have to you make revenue on the most dedicated fans that are willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. You don't get casual casual fans that you can make passive revenue on. Mm-hmm. Um and so you you subscribe and D one baseball does a good job at providing analysis beyond the rankings. Like if you go to ESPN you'll get You'll, you'll see the rankings but you won't get anything more than that you really can't even see like team schedules the box scores are horrible well, they don't exist they don't really have box scores even the live scores are horrible they're very seldom updated or correct um not all the games are included on espn so it's really bad the espn app for college baseball mm-hmm. atrocious um and and d1 baseball has a really good um really good ui user experience um and You, you, you could, you get the box scores and you get the live scores for free with the site, but then you could also subscribe and you get, you know, more analysis. Um, You get like previews. They did top previews of each of the preseason top 25 teams, conference previews, all that stuff, Um, you know, live reporting stories and all that stuff. So I think if you're going to go somewhere, it's probably the place. Um, Because if you tried, if you tried all the different subscriptions for live baseball, I mean, like, like I said, you kind of have to pick one. You have to choose like I'm a Iowa fan. I went to the University of Iowa. Shout out to them for beating number 1 LSU yesterday. That was Ooh, awesome. Um that, that was good. Yeah, they were they've been kind of mediocre in baseball for I mean as long as I've been a fan, but I think they made the College World Series once. Um but this year it looks like they have a, a decent shot to make some noise. So that's exciting. But anyway, um you know it's like so I'll follow like the Big 10 um and then the sec whenever i can poach off of my parents uh satellite subscription and and watch some of their like uh youtube tv uh to get some sec games uh but you know it's like you have, you have to know what you want to watch you know and if you're doing it from a fantasy perspective like what league you know or what team maybe has the people you're interested in if you want to watch chase dollander um well it actually kind of stinks because you can't really get a subscription to sec you have to do it's a streaming service like youtube tv or satellite or um you know whatever but like the ones that you can just get the one-off subscriptions for are like the big 10 um and that's uh, kind AC- of it like acc the, network maybe i think the, so the, i know the acc network and the pac-12 network um the, you can get subscription to some of their like it's like acc plus or like pac-12 plus um but then it, i think if the network itself is included only with like cable cable yeah so it's it's difficult yeah, man it's, it's difficult tough. so it's you can get the most reliable things or, or i think the box scores and kind of the the breakdowns and the previews that you can get from like d1 ncaa like the, the ncaa site you right. it's all right you know it does it it got the bare got the bare bones coverage and whatnot yeah. but um, i was, you have I to was, kind of decide what's best for what you're most interested in, who you're most interested in, where you want to potentially spend the money to, you know, yeah. have access to these guys.
1: Yeah. I'll shout out uh D one is is definitely good. I, I uh I've looked at them, especially going into last season when I was trying to become more acclimated and more um, you know, just knowledgeable. Definitely leaned on them for like you say, some of the high level stuff. Gotta give a shout out to the the guys over at or the folks over at um Prospect Live. Uh, because they do uh, I think a good job of of delving in and obviously um they're monetizing, which again, kudos to them. No, no um, you know, that that's that's never necessarily a bad thing. So um some of that stuff is behind the paywall, but even just from a high level standpoint, if you're looking at trying to get a jump on what is the next draft class looking like, um, that's another, you know, potential resource. So they're out there, but yeah, like you said, it is it is interesting kind of as you go level by level, right, from M O B to minor league and then from minor league down to um college baseball and then of course high school you're pretty much just relying on you know any sort of knowledgeable sources because you're not you're probably not plugged into the high school game unless you have a real reason to be beyond dynasty baseball or something um so yeah it's just kind of like it gets a little bit harder to get all the knowledge and you know one or two sources as you go down level to level but sometimes that's kind of the fun of it right is chasing down uh some some information and chasing down some leads if you will on um on certain players. With that being said, we're gonna take our first break here. We're gonna come back and we're gonna start talking about these 2023 college prospects, starting with our pitchers. Uh, so stay with us after the jump.
0: Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N O O M.com to sign up for your trial today. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat.
1: And we're back. Uh, like I said, we're going to start off talking pitchers. And so um, the 2022 class, so this most recent draft class, was actually pretty highly regarded this time last year. And then, of course, several members of that top tier started, you know, just dropping like flies with arm arm troubles, uh, shoulder trouble and, and season ending injuries. And it really reset how they got evaluated both in, in the real life draft, but also for dynasty and fantasy um purposes so looking at this season hopefully that doesn't happen um that the number one guy that, the name that you just mentioned jake earlier uh chase dollander from tennessee uh quick stats on him from 2022 79 innings pitch 108 k's 13 walks he was a transfer from georgia southern um looking at his pitch mix i mean this guy pretty much is complete package right four seamer change up slider curve um every everything that i saw just looking up scouting reports and and just you know analysis on him, everybody loves his mechanics everybody mentions delivery is smooth arm action is is fast um he has 70 grade on the fastball from mob pipeline 60 grade on the slider uh the fastball looks like it's it's sitting high 90s um or, or mid to high 90s but has touched 100 i saw some reports that has touched 100 before so i mean he definitely uh, has the ve- uh, velocity slider has the movement change up seems to be the change up in the curve seem to be the two things that um there's still you know some more developmental pieces to be put together but um you know still again complete package playing at a high level because he's playing in the sec most people consider that you know to be the toughest conference so he's playing against you know high-end competition. Um, physically, I don't think that there's much projection left on him physically, but he already kind of looks the part. I mean, what else is there to kind of say about this guy, Jake? Not a whole lot. Um, you know, he's, I
2: mean, and when you look at his stats or starts this year, um, he's given up his ERA doesn't look great. You know, he's given up two earned runs in, in each of his first two starts, but he hasn't allowed a lot of base runners. You know, he's only had one walk each of the two games, a uh, total of 10.1 innings pitched. He had his first loss in a Tennessee uniform, um, going back to when he started with them last year. Uh, and his first start this year, he got his first loss. And, um, you know, it looks like from these games, it looks like he's, you know, kind of getting into some, not even like a lot of trouble early, but just like a little bit of trouble that happens to produce a run, you know, uh, like a couple singles, a uh, ground ball, sack fly, um, gave up one home run. Um, and then those... Trouble, you know, spots are happening early in games. And then once he gets into a groove, I mean, it's lights out. Um, you know, in the Arizona game, he gave up one run in each of the first two innings and then nothing for the next two and two-thirds. in uh, Dayton, two runs in the first inning on the homer and then nothing for the next uh, four and two thirds. So, you know, once he gets into his groove, he's pretty much unstoppable. His strikeout numbers have been ridiculous. He is 19 and 10.1 innings. still to start this year. So I think that that ERA is going to continue to drop. Um, His whip is under one, you know, so um, I think he'll definitely be the pitcher to watch for most of the year. And, you know, could be the first off the board in the draft. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's really not much more that you could say, not much bad that you can say about him right now. Um, so, yeah, he's the 1-1 one, one for
1: college pitchers right now. So with that being said, let me ask you this. Is there, again, kind of it's early, but thinking about putting together an early sort of draft list, FYPD type list um, in a dynasty mindset, what is your approach? You know, I'm not even going to get into the whole, you know, pitching prospect, that sort of thing, but just – when you look at a guy that seems like he's that complete already, what is it that you kind of, and I'm going to ask this question about a a hitter as well when we get to that group. But like if there's nothing really else from the college standpoint that he can prove, then are you looking for him to land at a certain um, organization? Are you looking for, you know, certain assignments kind of like already kind of looking ahead to him as a pro what is it that are kind of your next levels of measurement to to consider this guy? Because obviously, you know, you're going to probably have to more than likely you're going to have to finish pretty low in your in your league to have a shot at him. Right. Because he's going to be he's going to be a high end uh, F.Y.P.D. guy. So, you know, assuming that you um, are unfortunate <laughs> enough to, to finish uh, in the bottom part of your league, what are you kind of looking at? to say, okay, I'm definitely taking this guy or this guy around, um, you know, if he, if he falls to to this level or I want to see this last little bit, you know, from him kind of like, what is, what are your sort of, um, criteria that you're looking at for him as a, as a pro early on making his, his debut? Yeah. I think when he makes his debut, it'll be, does the swing
2: and does the swing and miss stuff carry over to professional hitters? Um, in college, like we talked to when in one of our first episodes that we did together on this podcast, we talked about how there's so much noise in minor league stats. Multiply that by 10 in college baseball stats, um, you know, because like the the opponents that you face in college baseball can be really random, really obscure. Um, you know, like so far, Dollander's played Arizona and Dayton. Arizona is a good program. Pac-12, Dayton, I think is solid. I'd not go, oh, they're 0-4 this year, so maybe not. Um, but, you know, you, you have no idea who these guys are that they're playing. You know, most of these guys that they're playing against aren't going to make um, pro ball even, let alone the majors. And so, you know, the swing and miss stuff is great. You know, the command is fantastic because command is something that you could, like, carry pretty easily if you have it, um, especially if you have, you know, confidence and um you continue with the swing and Smith stuff. Right. So I think it's just like, does he continue to miss bats? Um, how much does he have to tweak? Um, once he gets in, you know, with his approach, like you, you can blow guys by with a 99 mile per hour fastball in college baseball. You don't need a whole lot else. You don't really need to locate it. Um, and so, you know, it's just kind of, does, does the swing and miss translate and then does he have to tweak anything? Does he have to tweak his pitch mix, develop a new pitch, um, and as far as you mentioned, like, teams, um, he's probably going to go, I think, I mean, easy top 10, maybe top five, top two. <laughs> right. um, and those teams that are up there, we have uh, first there, Depending pick on how you look at it. <laughs> <there>. <laughs> uh, first pick goes to the Pirates and then the Nationals, the Tigers, the Rangers, Twins. Not a lot of good pitching prospects there, or good pitching development. You know, like the Pirates developed Cole um, more or less, but also Cole is he, one of those guys you can't really screw up. I right. think. Um, plus, and he was, got so much better once he left.
1: Yeah. And, and that was a while ago. So, so <laughs> that was a while ago. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Uh Nationals can't really speak to a whole lot recently. The Tigers have been really, really bad. The Rangers have those two have those you know, Leader and Kuma Rocker, who are the big ones right now. But Leader has really fallen
1: off. Cole Wynn. Owen cole, in,
2: um owen white i really like owen white yeah i'm really yeah. looking forward to seeing him this year but anyway you know like you not a lot of great teams that are going yeah. to maximize him you know or like unlock anything and so um you're not really hoping for that i think unless someone else trades up and, and whatnot but yeah. i think yeah. it's just going to be like how far is his raw skills going to carry him yeah know?
1: yeah it's funny that you mentioned cole because i was seeing that was one of the names that you see pop up a lot um with scouts saying like he's easing that as far as an amateur pitcher like he's in that sort of tier like he's in that echelon of um guys that they've seen recently especially uh i've seen i saw cole mentioned i saw um strasburg mentioned like you you know talking about the nationals like i don't again i'm not saying i agree or disagree it's just if you look up sort of just the scouting reports on um ballander and see what the advanced scouts are saying about him from the major league uh, teams. These are the names that some of these scouts are throwing out. um I think the swing and miss pieces is, is super important because everything else seems to be in place. Like we said, it seems to be a complete package, but all of that is leading to him having insane strikeout numbers, right, and being an ace and, and all that sort of stuff, right? Or, or you know, SP two, you know, top top end guy, top of rotation guy. And if, which obviously we obviously don't know, but if through this season. And definitely, you know, once he's drafted, once he starts seeing minor league guys, um, that strikeout piece is not above average and, and maybe it's just average. So if you think about a k a k rate that's sub 25% to start, then it's like, okay, you know, even if the whip is still decent and the ERA is still, de- you know, all these other aspects are still, you know, good. Then it's like, well, where where is he gonna get those strikeouts from? Where is he gonna get that added value? Because now a guy that's striking out, you know, twenty-one, twenty-two percent of um hitters, even if they still have low walk rate and everything else, that's more mid-rotation guy. And so, yeah, I agree. Um, if if the skills to induce swing and miss translate over, it's everything else is already there. And if they don't, or if they seem to back up a little bit. Then it'll be interesting to see what that does to value, especially if that's if that happens to him within his draft season. Um, yeah,
2: when on. with the velocity, sorry, real quick with yeah. with the velocity, it's not a guarantee. Like that's obviously the fantastic starting point mm-hmm. is good velocity, but like you look at like Hunter Green, who was out of high school, not college, right? So it's a little different path to get here. But he had to really work on locating his fastball um, because. Major league hitters, when he first came up, were teeing off on his fastball, no matter how hard it was, you know, because it was in bad locations and it didn't have, um, you know, no matter what the movement is, if it's right down the middle, it's going to be easier to hit, you know, if it um, doesn't have good ride, you know, so he's had to work on that and he developed a change up a little bit, you know, so that uh, is obviously a better starting point than most people. Um, and I mean, his fastball isn't, I don't think it's going to be as good as Hunter Green's, but, um, you know, you can't just rely on that you have to develop something else. You have to have good command or have good movement on it, good locations. And um, we're going to need to see something there beyond just like blowing away college hitters. And um, so, yeah, it's, but like, we're really picking nets. I mean, I, I'm picking nets because um, he's one of the best prospects
1: that we'll see. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, staying in the sec, uh, looking at another guy, that's probably going to be right there, pushing him, Uh, Pushing Dollinger as far as who's going to be the top arm coming off the board. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correct. I I tried to look it up real quick um, and I couldn't find a direct answer, but Paul, I'm going to say Skeens. If I mispronounce that, I apologize. Um, But looking at his numbers, 96 Ks last year and 85 and two thirds innings, 30 walks. He's another transfer as well. He transferred from um, the Air Force Academy and the other added a piece about skins schemes before we get into you know pitch mix and that sort of thing he's a two-way player he's a former catcher actually um along with being a pitcher and the power seems to be real like it, it, every scouting report says he has legit all fields power and, and that could be an extra um you know little tidbit of, of value if a team is interested in uh, you know uh, again him being a former catcher they're obviously not going to have him continue to be a catcher um but you know if they want to go pitcher dh kind of do a uh uh bubba chandler uh otani obviously is is you know the the biggest sort of flashpoint in that in in baseball but just thinking about from the minor league standpoint bubba chandler uh brendan mckay obviously guys that aren't expiring a bunch of confidence but um with Skeens, uh, if we look at how he checks out also gets a 70 grade fastball um looking at a couple different sites uh 60 grade slider has a split change that he's developed don't see that super often as well so you know handful of pitches that he can go to in the arsenal uh, i see you have a note here as well that you added jake uh, about his stuff plus so yeah what what do you what are you seeing when you look at uh schemes yeah, so um,
2: with stuff plus, so Jeff uh, Pontus, I think, is how you say his name, uh, from Baseball America on Twitter, uh, he posted stuff plus numbers from the NCAA opening weekend, uh, or, or first week, um, and not everyone's on this list. Like, um, Dollander's not on the list. He wasn't at a park that had the um, you know, the data. Um, the pitcher from Iowa, Brody Brett. I hope, yeah, is, um, is he's not on the list either. You know, so it's like not a comprehensive list, but Skeens had a 131 stuff plus. Um, then this isn't like the you know no, um the you know saris one that I usually reference here. I don't know whose it is. It's not clear. Maybe it's Jeff's, but um yeah yeah one thirty one stuff plus is fantastic. Um and he led all of the pitchers that they got data for. Um so that's a fantastic place to start, right? Um also fun little note here on this list there's Logan Forsyth, the pitcher in college. Um with apparently no relation to the Logan Forsyth from the Tampa Bay Rays a okay. couple of years back.
1: <laughs> okay. I was, the, yeah, you said the name and I was like, what? Like, was he? 29? Like, how is it? like, <laughs> wait, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Logan Forsyth had a uh, 119
2: stuff plus. So, I mean, I not, that's just a fun little note there, but yeah, Skeens, Skeens has been uh, nasty to start the year um, with LSU. And he's going to get a lot, I think of hype and helium, much like Dollinger is playing for Tennessee and, Top rank team and the best conference schemes is on the other end of that coin, you know, playing for LSU, who's ranked number one right now that the Iowa Hawkeyes beat yesterday. And, you know, he's going to get a lot of attention. He if you know, he'll get the chance to pitch in the both the SEC championship and the college baseball world series, I'm sure. And so you're there's gonna be a lot of eyes on him. Uh earlier you can get on him, earlier you can get watching him the better, you know, you can get more more data. You don't find out with everyone else, you know, how good he is. So, um But yeah, so far this year, 12 innings pitched, one earned run, five hits, three walks. I mean, yeah, he's been discussing against Western Michigan and Kansas State. So, um, you know, not a ranked opponent yet. Uh, Not obviously not an SEC opponent yet, but, you know, solid programs. And
1: he's blown through them. So I can't wait for him to get to conference play. So let me ask you, if you're in, um, if you have a, a team that you're, like taking over, right. You're taking over orphan team. They they finished pretty poorly or, or one of your, your regular teams. And you know, it just didn't, it didn't happen for you this year. And so you're, you're drafting, you know, somewhere in that top three, top four. The schemes provide a little that that two-way player ship, if you will, like that, the ability that, um you know, some team might actually, Consider letting him continue to hit Because he is again a, a pretty good hitter Does that jump him Up as far as just thinking about Hey you know if he does I guess what I'm thinking about is um, You know Not saying that they're Super comparable but Mason Wynn was a two way guy And clearly the Cardinals Saw more out of him As a shortstop and, and a hitter than a pitcher so they made that decision early not saying that that would go down the same way for skins because win was also coming out of high school not nearly as polished as skins is et cetera, et cetera. but just that that added value of like i could get essentially two for one right i could get two players for one draft pick does that boost him again at least early on over Dollander for you or does the the complete profile of Dollander that we just covered, and the risk there of hey, if a team does try to let Skeens play both ways, and that can kind of you know, there's a risk element there, obviously. does like where, where, where do they both kind of line up early on for you? Does one jump over the other?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, I think Dollander's still at the top, um, because you know, Skeens has a path to get there, but I think, um, he just has a little bit more to, to prove, you know, like he, he could have a lights out season and, and be competitive there with, with Dollinger at the top. But, um, I think right now you want to see a little bit more. Um, and with the two way player thing, I think it a a lot hinges on how LSU uses him this year because LSU doesn't necessarily need another bat. They have a fantastic offense already. And he hasn't, he doesn't have an at bat for him yet. Um, in the first week of games or in either of his starts. Um, and so if, if LSU just says like, listen, we're going to use you as our, as our best pitcher, like that's your job, that's your role. I think it's going to be tough for a major league organization then to kind of be like, all right, let's revisit that. Mm. You know, let's get you hitting again. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's kind of like if, if LSU doesn't really get him a lot of at bats, I think it's going to be really easy for that kind of aspect of his game to fall off and for him to then focus on, on pitching. But, um, so yeah, I think that will kind of determine a lot there. But yeah, I think for me right now I'm like really like he's the he's the pitcher, he's the nasty stuff, he's the one that can like break out with a good season for maybe the best team in the country. Yeah. Um and then the bo- the hitting is kind of like a potential bonus, but I don't think that would really influence my stock in him as like from fantasy perspective
1: as of right now. No, that makes sense. And I think that's a really good point uh, about how he's being utilized right now uh, in college with LSU. And, and like you said, to, to their credit, they don't, you know, they're not you know, lacking for, for thumping the lineup. So that could be part of it. But um, if he goes his full draft season with very few, if any um, at bats, then yeah. Trying to flip that switch back on. Um you know, a major league team might say, Hey, decision has kind of already been made uh, for us, essentially, and, and we're just going to proceed there. So this, it's valid. Uh, the last pitcher that we have uh, just on this quick preview list, also a right hander, Brett Louder from Wake Forest, um, giving you just real quick stats from 2022 105 strikeouts, 26 walks, and 99 in a third innings. Fastball is a little bit lower uh, than our first two guys. So he sits more in the ninety two ninety five. Range at least early the the scouting reports from twenty twenty two it does sound like he's looking to up that going into this season, so that's something definitely to to monitor is if he's been able to add some velo to the fastball. The change is really his go to um uh looking around he was getting around sixty grade uh on on the change that sits mid eighties and then he has a slider as well that's low eighties um so three pitches uh still some development probably out of the 3 the one that has the most development still left um as far as uh his pitches adding velo and, and kind of uh being able to um continue to to grow into becoming a better and better pitcher but I did want to put him on here not only just because of where he uh looks to be landing again on these early draft lists he he's typically in the top 10 or so definitely in this sort of top three of pitchers uh, of arms that are anticipating to come off the board but he's a guy that jumps out to me as um the guy the guys that i always find interest in when i'm looking at pictures of like oh he he has some flaws but again if he falls to the right team those flaws can kind of get sanded off and then there's a lot of goodness underneath um and and also just the the cheapness right of Skeen's probably isn't going to be there for you if you finish, you know, unless you finish in the bottom three. Dollander, again, unless something, you know, injury related happens, that's pretty much guaranteed to be a a top three draft pick, um, both in, in real life as well as for FYPDs. So if you're hoping that like, hey, I think my team will do at least pretty well and we're not going to fall into that slot, who's another arm that might be sort of appealing to you to get the upside without the cost louder seems like he might be that type of guy in my opinion jake what what do you see
2: yeah i see uh well first off i see a guy with incredible hair um <laughs> talk about a flow that this guy's got going on oh my goodness um but yeah i think that he like you said he has um i guess the most room for development you know sitting 92 95 it's you, you kind of don't exactly know what you're going to get with the fastball, right? Is it going to be something that's located well with good movement, with good life, or is it going to be something that, you know, relies more on a velo? If you can get it kind of more with some, you know, with some work, if you can get it more averaging like 94, 95, um, that gives you a little bit more room to work with, with the velo. Um, and so, you know, you still kind of have that fastball. It's like, where is it going to land? Um, it's great that he has the change up already, but I think he probably still needs to develop more of like the secondary, um, get the slider, um, going, but you know, it's, it's good to have the change up because, um, and, you know, I think it's going to work really well. Um, at least in college, you know, he's been relying on that pretty well, but if he kind of, if he gets an identity with the fastball, develops that second pitch a little bit. Um, and I think that the major league organization that he finds himself in is going to, um, have a like huge role to play in that, you know, um, but yeah, I think he's he also I th- could be someone who goes deep into games. You know, looking at some of his game scores from or his game box scores from last year, he worked deep. Uh, seven innings pitched, eight innings pitched, seven, nine, six, six, You know, like and this is these are all in conference play in the ACC. Um, you know, and his strikeout numbers were about nine per nine in in conference play last year. Um, and so, if maybe that's you know he has really good. Um, really good health, really good, um, you know, working deep in the game, stamina. Yeah, yeah That's what the word I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think, you know, someone who can go a couple of different ways and can be a nice little sleeper when FYB, FYPD is around, you know?
1: And I wonder um, if, if how yeah. much of that is connected to the, to the VLO, right? Cause if you're not throwing mm-hmm. 98, 99, every time out, it's a lot easier, generally speaking for you to, to, you're saving bullets, right. To get through the game if you're still as efficient in, in your strike throwing. So there is yeah. some, some, like you said, some value there where uh, if that's, if that's his game. And again, it sounds like he did try to put some work in this offseason. So we'll, we'll watch um, to add some velo to the fastball. So, so again, we'll continue to, to monitor that. That's something to look at, but if he is in that more, like you said, 90, even if we're saying like 93 to, to top and out at maybe 96, but he's living 93, 94 consistently. That might be, especially with having a, a above average change, that might be the value that teams are seeing. Of he might not be flying off the boards because you know there's always going to be some high school guys. I'm sure there's going to be a couple of college pitchers that um you know are early on the list, but you know push their way up. But there, you know, if he falls into the that mid, you know, double digit draft pick, um, for MLB he could be a guy where that's the value that teams are picking up on is this is a guy that might not be our ace, but he can go again. He can go deep. Um, He has so far, you know, good health and health is a skill as we, you know, we should know. Um, And so, yeah, he's a guy, like I said, I just have his name circled of somebody that I want to pay attention to and just see how his season goes. I did get a a chance to see some video of his start. Um, I I don't remember who was against, but his first start this season um, I saw some video online and he looked, I mean, just generally speaking, he looked good. He was getting the strikeouts, uh, seemed to be dominating the zone, seemed to be uh, feeling good early in the season. Uh, and, and, and again, the one thing I do, like, one of the other things that I do like here, just looking at those numbers, uh, the strikeouts and walks, it, it, the guys around the strike zone, right? 26 walks and 99 in the third innings. He's not wasting a lot of pitches. Uh, he's not losing a lot of guys, letting them off the hook. So, um, yeah, Brett Lauder, just somebody that uh, I have his name circled just to see where he falls. Um, So with that being said, that's that's our look at what right now seems to be the top three uh, draft eligible college pitchers uh, coming into this new college season. We're going to take another break. And then after the break, we're going to break down some of the top draft eligible hitters uh, for the season. and we're back. So, we're talking about hitters. Um there's one guy that you, you know, number 1 with the bullet More likely to be the the first bat the first college bat at least to come off um the board. Might be one-one. Seems like it's him and Dollander, depending on how teams feel about taking a pitcher number 1. Uh Dylan Cruz and and Cruz has kind of been on the radar for the last couple of years going back into Twenty twenty one, when he was a freshman, and just hitting bombs left and right. And last year, here's the numbers. I, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of video game esque, right? Three hundred seven plate appearances. He put up three forty nine, four sixty three, a six ninety one slugging. Like his slugging, not the OPS, right? We've seen like really bad OPSs that are like six ninety one. You're like that guy's terrible. His slugging was six ninety one, so. I think about this triple slash, like really great triple slashes as like three, four, five guys, right? 300 batting average, 400 OBP, 500. And like, if you're if you're a three, four, five guy, you're doing really well. I don't know that I've ever seen a three, four, six guy. Like, I don't, I, don't, I would have to like take a look back at some past years. 22 home runs, 72 RBIs, 73 runs, five stolen bases, you know, just because. um, And seven attempts, like why not? uh 18% K rate, 13.7% walk rate. I I, this is the guy that I want to ask just like Dollander, what else is there for him to show us? Like Jake, what does he not, you know, like did he not steal bases enough? Did he not sell enough popcorn in the stands? Like what else is he gonna do uh to kind of cap off a a great sophomore season now that he's uh draft eligible junior?
2: Yeah, I think um there's not a whole lot that we could see in college more, right? You know? um you know he only has five stolen bases so like that even if that's not a big part of his game um if he could just chip in a few you know um that's totally fine uh if you got someone who's going to be that good and uh you know potential triple slash and and has good power um good plate approach um you know like there's not a whole lot more you could ask for it's just kind of like okay now what is he going to do against against professional pitchers um you know, maybe the contact rates, maybe the strikeout rates kind of go up a little bit. Maybe he finds himself at, you know, if he's an 18% in, um, in college last year, you know, maybe he's, um, works after working on his game, maybe he's like 23, 24% in like upper level of the minors, you know, if he can kind of get there. Um, but if he doesn't have much of an issue kind of transitioning, um, I think that's the only thing, right. Is like, how is he going to be able to handle better breaking pitches, um, better fastballs? Um, you know, even against, again, some of the best competition in college baseball, he's been fantastic. So um, there, I don't think there's a whole, whole lot more that he could show us. I mean, he's already pegged as like a top, top three pick, maybe a top one pick, you know, yeah. in the major league draft, right? So um, I think everyone's pretty like, okay, like we know who he is. We know who he is. We know what he's going to be able to do. Like this year, he's gone off to a crazy hot start. He's at like 470 in the first like 20 at-bats or whatever, you know. So um, it's like, okay, now let's get him against the Bear competition and see. But like when you're making the, uh, you know, the FYPD pick next year, um, he might – it'll be like, where does he get to? I think that'll be really interesting. Where does he get to this year after he gets drafted? Does he make it up to high A, you know, as a college hitter, like a really good college hitter? Like the path should be pretty quick. Um, He's, I don't know how old he is now. He's probably 22, 23. Let me see. Does it even say on his page here? No, it doesn't
1: look like it. So uh, he's a junior. I got you. He's a junior. Let me me grab it for you. Let me vamp for a little bit while I look this up. Um, The thing I think with, Cruz, the assignment piece i think is a really good uh he's 21 by the way um that's just, a little younger than i expected yeah uh, uh today's his birthday actually if this is if i'm oh, looking man. at correct information yeah, Happy birthday. birthday. Yeah. just turned 21
2: yeah well i mean i guess he had a junior yeah. if he yeah. didn't have any red shirts yeah, yeah. and like yeah i was gonna he say came. he
1: was he was a true freshman when he was uh yeah. on, jumping on our radar and in, in 21 so uh with that being said uh i think the assignment piece is is really good point i hadn't completely thought about that so if you think about the um college bats that came out of this past um draft and where they went now some of that was in my opinion some of that was organization dependent as well so i'm a guy that i'm actually going to mention uh in comparison to our next prospect but you look at like a zagnetto or brooks lee that assignment i think in part was aggressiveness definitely the angels and netto because they have no shortstops and they, <laughs> they need somebody desperately um yep. i think for lee it was just so he was that good and so if you think about cruz as being a, you know i don't want to use the word steroids right when you're talking about baseball but kind of like lee on steroids as far as being the best college hitter like hands down lee you could probably make an argument you know lee parada there was a few guys i think for cruz he's the best college bat hands down as it stands right and and it kind of has been um yeah you know maybe you put him in low a just to get his feet wet but to me it is how high up can he go in his first year and so if you know a team splashes him in high a i mean low a just says you know hey welcome to the pros cool you got your you know five games in you got your you know 15 at bats cool here's high a and if he runs him up there, he could definitely be one of these guys that finishes his pro season at Double A, and oh boy, like you know that it it would be crazy. So, um, Dylan Cruz, and again, if you're looking at Cruz in a FYP, or if you're in a, what did we decide we we're going to call them? Not FYPDs, but if you're in a a minor league draft, an
2: off season, yes, draft. an off season
1: draft. <laughs> where yeah. there are a slew of of prospects available to you both minor league as well as um amateur um I would be interested to see how high up he goes in that in that draft be, for that same reason right um but yeah you know he he's a guy that if you're in a standard uh, FYPD you're going to have to finish in the bottom two to, to get him or you're going to have to pull up a, a you know a heck of a trade to um to get that draft slot where he's going to be because you're talking about one 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 two at you know at the worst so um yeah it's just going to be exciting to see the rest of his draft season and and see where he goes uh the next guy that i have on the list like i said i wanted to mention zach nettle kind of in in parallel and that's jacob gonzalez at old miss so his 2022 um 300 uh plate appearances he put up th- uh, 273. 405 558 so you know a normal stat line that's that's a normal looking one at least in comparison to what Cruz did but uh really robust and, and just a guy that does a little bit of everything 18 home runs 52 rbi 67 um run scored four stone bases and six attempts you look at uh his plate discipline 10 points uh 10.7 essentially uh percent k rate 16.7 percent uh, walk rate and so Neto was a guy that just jumped in my mind as far as the the parallel because there's no major carrying tool that Gonzalez has, right? He's not a super big power guy, but he can hit for some. Uh, he's not a burner, but it looks like he can kind of take, you know, some spots here or there. Plays shortstop very well. Um, so, so good hands, good arm, good range there. And it just is an overall approach that seems very transferable to the pros, right? Even though there's no major carrying tool, there's – one where um again netto and lee were the two guys that I was thinking about from this most recent draft class where i was like you know lee is kind of the the top end just because of how good he hit but defensively also because of his size he's probably going to be more of a third baseman netto is a guy that i thought was ran a lot better parallel just because of it's a little he sprinkles in kind of a little bit across every category um but that might be enough especially depending on what team he lands with to carry him again how high can he go uh lefty bat as well which is always nice um but yeah that's my spiel about gonzalez i don't know jake what what else you saw or what you wanted to add
2: yeah i think for me his his approach is like the most um interesting part i think of his profile you know he has he like you said he contributes across the board you know um looks solid like a normal stat line for like a college prospect uh, for a good pro- college prospect you know um and that strikeout to walk rate is really, really intriguing. Um, and if he can, that like we talked about, we've talked about before, right? Setting yourself up to give yourself the most room as you go margin up levels. Yep, margin, margin for error. Margin for error, error yes. Um, and so if you already have a 10% strikeout rate um, and a 16% walk rate, it's going to make going to the low levels of the, of the minors um, potentially later this year um, you know, a lot easier if you have that to, um, fall back on, you know, if you start seeing pitches that you haven't seen in college and you're adjusting, but you know, that you have a really good feel of the strike zone, you know, you know, that you can make contact if you need to, um, that is going to set you up really, really well off the bat. Um, so yeah, that's definitely the the biggest thing for me. Um, you like to see maybe a little bit more speed from a shortstop, but, um, also like in college, it's really hard to tell, like we were talking and, the last episode about, oh man, who was it? Who had like five attempts in college and then like doubled it. And we were just talking about him last episode. I forgot who it was, but, but like that happens, you know, that happens. Like you don't, um, you don't know what the team needs are in college and maybe they get to the pros and you're like, Hey, you're fast. Start running. So, um, you know, you, you never know where. So yeah, I think the, the approach is the best, um, and his contact abilities. So, um, he's also, he was, um, I think pegged to be the best, you know, shortstop in the SEC in the preseason poll. So um, if you're looking at like a premium shortstop bat, I think that's kind of where we're looking at right now yeah. is with uh, with Gonzalez. Yeah.
1: So. Um, margin for error with these with both these guys, I was thinking, um, you know, with Cruz, same same thing. You know, if you take his looking at just the K rate and the walk rate. Right. And you say, cool, we'll add, um, you know, we'll add five percent to the K rate and subtract five percent. Just just for that, just to account for the difference between college and, you know, being a pro uh, baseball player, you're still talking about 23 percent K rate and uh, 8 percent walk rate. That's decent for a guy that has this sort of power. Right. And same thing for Gonzalez. You could double it. Right. And say, cool, we're going to put you in high a to start and we're just kind of going to double the K rate and and and, you know, half the walk rate okay, cool. That gives you a guy with 21%, you know, 20, 21% K rate and a 8% walk rate that can still, you know, take you deep for, you know, mid teens home runs. And like you said, steals, it could be, it could be in that, you know, four to five level, or it could be double that as well. We'll have to see about the speed. Cause like I said, I'm not um, too sure either, but that's a guy that that plays. It's not, maybe not a superstar profile, but I don't think, again, i I'm not saying they're one-to-one, but just keeping Neto in mind, like I don't think Neto's going to be a superstar either. But he's a guy that I think is going to be above average for a while. So that works, right? From a fantasy standpoint, that definitely works. So, yeah, that margin for error is is, is real. And in my mind, it, it's real. It's good criteria. And these two especially, like, have it um, in, in loads. The next guy is... is this is an interesting profile. I really want to get your opinion on on this. This is Enrique Bradfield. Um one more SEC guy. This is a Vandy boy. Okay. Uh slated as it, we were talking about speed with Gonzalez and not knowing. We definitely know with Bradfield, um, if not the fastest player that's going to be in this draft class, easily in the top five, maybe top three, right? Um, and so uh, just again, just to give the numbers before we get into the analysis. Uh Last year, 292 plate appearances. Uh, 317, 415, 498 is the triple slash. Eight home runs, 36 RBI, 69 runs scored. 46 for 46 in stolen base attempts. Let me say that again. 46 for 46 in stolen base attempts. Now you just heard Jake say stolen bases in college can kind of fluctuate. Don't always know team needs. Don't always always know uh, in the game, especially like if that's necessary. Bradfield removes any doubt. The kid can move. Okay, Um, 13.7 percent K rate, 14 percent walk rate. So pretty much the same. Right. Uh, And he shows up somewhere between top 10, top 20 on, on different draft lists, depending on on who you're looking at. I've seen these three names in scouting reports. I've seen Jared Dyson, I've seen Juan Pierre, and I've seen Kenny Lofton. So you have a guy that many argue should be in the Hall of Fame in Lofton, a guy that was uh, very valuable and a a big contributor for several years in Juan Pierre, and a a guy that just shows up still bases and gets World Series rings in Jared Dyson, right? Like That's what he does. (laughs) Like, pinch run, still base, get World Series ring, rinse and repeat. Which, like, I don't say that to disparage him. That's kind (laughs) of awesome. But those are also three very different outcomes as far as player profiles. And so what I'm interested in asking is, where do I, uh, where do we think he might go? Do we think there's more power that he can unlock, which obviously will drive his draft profile? Or do we think this is kind of where he is? And how much premium do we put on speed when it comes to um, Dynasty baseball specifically? So we know fantasy, redraft leads, et cetera, that's kind of a different beast. But when we think about Dynasty, how much premium do we put on speed looking at a guy that may not have any pop uh, or not a, a lot of pop in comparison to other players in this draft class, but clearly can outrun them all?
2: Yeah, I think... Um, I think speed is a little similar, not as not to the extreme as as relief pitching, but I think it's similar to relief pitching where guys are going to pop up that can give you speed. Um, you know, you'll have some guys like John Birdie kind of pop up out of nowhere, um, or you'll be able to get a bunch of pitch-ins from different guys. You know, you could assemble speed in I like, think a bunch of different ways. You don't necessarily need the guy to like do it all. And having a guy that does it all that gets you 30, 40 of your projected like 100 stolen bases, that is a risky because if that guy gets injured, you're screwed. You have no more speed, um, especially if you built around that, you know. And so I generally don't invest in it heavily. Um, I usually have to see something else like does he get on base? You can't steal bases if you don't get on base. Very true. Um, and then does he e- even if he doesn't have power, does he hit line drives? Does he have an optimal launch angle? You know, is he just like slapping the ball into the ground and beating it out? That's gonna get a lot harder as you get higher in the in the organizations into the majors because the defense is so much better mm-hmm. the higher you get, you know. Um, you can't really do that. Like so many of Bradfield's hits are bunts on weak college defenses, is that going to translate I highly doubt he's gonna be bunting much as he gets high, you know, in the in organizations. So I think I'm really interested to see like, does he hit line drives? Does he hit line drives decently hard? You know, hard enough. Um and like with we what we're seeing right now with Asturi Ruiz, there's so much like um hype around him after last year, um, because he had a fantastic season and stole an insane amount of bases. Um, but the the book on him is that he doesn't really hit the ball hard. Um his really, really poor exit velocities and how much is he gonna be able to get away with, you know, how much is he gonna be able to get on base? Um so And for Ruiz it's playing time he's on the A's there's not much competition so he could still get a ton of bases but you know and Bradfield does is he going to be on a team with open spots with um, lower competition with opportunities to play Um, and so I think that there's a bit that kind of needs to be discovered with him Um, we know he's fast and we know he has a i mean a good approach like he has a really low strikeout rate a pretty high walk rate you know that's really good to see that's not always the case with speed guys you know so um that's obviously working for him from the jump but um what else is he going to be able to do cuz making a big investment especially if he goes in the first round of the major league draft first round of offseason drafts fypds um can you make that investment knowing that you're going to get more than just Empty categories and then an
1: incredible stolen bases right right yeah i i i wonder if uh I wonder if he is gonna see um the home runs develop or or like you say just line drives right, even if it's um extra bases just seen from uh the uh seeing more doubles right um because we know that uh, extra bases specifically doubles that power can can get unlocked at the major league level, so that's even a good indicator. Uh, and then something else with with
2: speed is that i think it's not this is a guess because we don't have a guesstimate an educated guess i guess because we don't have the data yet but if stolen bases are more common with the bigger bases um speed i think is at a slightly lower premium if you can find it somewhere else like because i think one of the more popular kind of like um Uh, hypotheses for how it's going to play out is that guys in the middle are going to have are going to steal more like they have the same opportunities right everyone has as if you're going on projections everyone is going to have about the same opportunities to steal bases Mm -hmm. um but the guys that can maximize those opportunities are probably the guys in the middle because maybe they took off six seven percent of the time because it's like "Eh, it's like a 60 40 chance i make it that's not worth it um maybe those percentages go up and then they take more of their opportunities. Maybe they steal 12% of the time. Um, And then, but when you have the speedsters, they're already stealing 20% of the time. There's not much more that they can do. Um, And so uh, with Bradfield, right? Like if you can find that speed somewhere else, if you don't need his 40 stolen bases, if you, um, and again, it depends on how this year plays out. We don't really know what's going to happen there, but there's a chance that speed couldn't, that there's the speed could be a slightly less valuable um
1: going forward yeah 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 i and uh you saying that just made me think of um a couple of other hypotheses around the the pitch clock and pitchers being faster to the plate and does that then counteract the larger bases but that's a whole whole nother um sort of uh uh you know, can of worms to, to crack open at another time. But I think that's overall a good point. If, if we see at the major league level, um, a, a new normal when it comes to speed and a larger band in the middle, like you said, of, of guys just taking, you know, just a few percentage points higher in attempts and seeing more successful attempts, then yeah, that could, you know, recalculate the math when it comes to speedsters at the, at the high end, um, coming into the, coming into the organization um the other thing that i was thinking of though is you know he, he does play does seem to play really good outfield right center field specifically so it seems like he's going to be able to stick there so defensively that's always going to help out from uh a major league level right R- real life level um the other piece that i was thinking of um outside of if, if that power is going to develop and um seeing more home runs or at least more doubles is uh what does it look like if he is um moving the ball around outside of just slapping you know bunt singles or, or slapping singles around like is he going to change his profile at all going into his draft season so that he is elevating the ball more um just in general and what does that look like right if if he starts swinging at some pitches that maybe doesn't normally swing at trying to elevate the ball like does he try to reach a a a player profile that's not really His but trying to you know You know guys want to get paid Like let's let's tell the truth about it And and so does he does he jump up Um Also the the last thing that I was thinking About is if he doesn't if If, if this is who he is again As he Potentially falls because there's Guys with you know I, Again we're not talking about high schoolers Um so we haven't added them In obviously uh, from an FYPD standpoint then you have uh, your international guys, et cetera, you know, a- if he starts to fall down, then it becomes to me a little bit more appealing, a little bit more appetizing to, to take a guy that high speed, you know, pop might be low double digits maybe. Um, but again, has a good approach. So we know that it's not just him s- like swinging necessarily at everything. And I didn't get a chance to see what his ground ball rate is, but uh, uh, to your point, Jake, if he, if the ground ball rate is sustainable, you know, in that low forties percent, then to me, then that's a pretty decent sign. If it's, you know, 48, 50%, et cetera, that's when you really get worried because that it's really hard for that to sustain. Like you said, getting, uh, uh, going at better defenses at, You know, low A, high A, and on those ground balls turns into automatic outs, no matter, uh, you know, just about how fast you are. So, yeah, uh, that's Enrique Bradfield. Interesting name to watch. Uh, We have two more names on the list Matt Shaw from Maryland, who's a shortstop, Jacob Wilson from Grand Canyon, also a shortstop. I'm going to kind of combine them um, just because I know we're running a little bit long in the episode. So, Shaw's numbers. To, uh, from last year 291 played appearances his triple slash 290 381 604 so again seeing that six show up in, in the slugging like to see that 22 home runs 67 rbi 50 runs 12 for 16 and stolen bases um was the 2022 cape cod mvp in the 10 games he played there so i thought that was just interesting seeing uh you know some some recognition there um helping his pedigree and K rate looks good, about sixteen percent for the K rate, about twelve percent for the walk rate, shown some versatility. Uh, I think the question right now is is his arm strong enough to stay at short at the pro level? There's some questions around that, but um already at Maryland, he's been moved around. He's played some outfield and looked okay. He's played some second, some third, so he he's been able to move around. Uh I saw some just real quick video and just the snapshot that I got from him is above average back control really looked good. Keeping his back through the zone, um, moving it around to to get to different pitches uh, at at the lower half of the zone as well as the high part of the zone. And he's got some sneaky pop to right center. Like he he can drive the ball. Well, I saw a couple of his home runs at the at, uh, Cape Cod uh, League online as I was doing research for this and both of the ones I saw were two right center but they were you know they they were driven they weren't any sort of just you know back of the wall scrapers they were driven out there so um that's Matt Shaw Jacob Wilson son of Jack Wilson former Pittsburgh pirate um major leaguer so Jacob last year 275 plate appearances his uh line 358 418 585 12 homers 65 RBI 44 runs scored over uh, one for stolen bases. He had a two and a half percent K rate, two and a half percent. He struck out seven times in 275 plate appearances, 9% walk rate. Um, the questions that I had for, for Wilson though, again, quick snapshot, just looking at some of his video, breaking ball recognition seemed to be a potential obstacle for him. I saw him get tripped up on some, some curves and some sliders um and then just developing that power there were a lot of balls even foul balls that he was fouling off to the right and just not getting around on that were on the outer half of the zone and so that pull side power he did he did get up a, a couple of home runs that I saw again in, in just the video sort of composite that I was watching um he did get around on a couple home runs but they were fastballs and they were in that inner half of the zone and so I'm just curious to see can he really get around on pitches, especially at the major level that are going to be on that outer half, or is it just going to be him going the other way? That's going to change up that power profile that you're going to see from him. Um, but he does inside out on the balls very well. Like that, that swing, it, it works to, to get uh, the, the ball out to the right half um, or to the right side, I should say. And um, his draft stock, I'm just kind of curious if he's going to start to fall the name recognition. You know, obviously helps boost him um, but I could see him potentially falling um as players with louder tools start to you know start to show up in the draft class, so that's Wilson and Shaw um kind of together, Shaw, I think I like a little bit more than Wilson out of the two as of right now, but i'm I'm interested to watch both of them as they progress. Jake, I didn't know if you had any additional thoughts on either one,
2: yeah, I think um for Shaw, the interesting thing. Um, as far as what's happening for the start of this year, he has um already three stolen bases in I think thirty at bats. Uh last year he had twelve uh in the full season. So maybe he's running more often, maybe he's taking advantage of you know the early season schedule. But I think that might be something to watch because you know, having twenty-two homers as a shortstop, or even, you know, maybe if he transitions to a third baseman or an outfielder, you know, having that pop already to work on, if he could steal a little bit more. Um, you know, has, like you said, a good opposite field power. Um, I think he could be one that kind of shoots up, shoots up boards. Um, you know, you can see some really good tools developing there. Um, and then with Wilson, uh, the, he, you know, he hit the uh, 358 last year, uh, mostly against pretty poor competition. Um, you know, that it's obviously Grand Canyon University isn't in one of like the Power Five conferences. And uh, looking at like the schedule, he definitely had um, some teams to take advantage of they played like you know Stanford like once I think Arizona twice and so had uh, had some there but most of it was was against conference schedule um, which isn't going to be as impressive but this year uh, to start the year Grand Canyon has played some some bigger name opponents you know they played like Ohio State Michigan State Michigan Tennessee Gonzaga and he's held his own he's hit 379 so far this year against um those teams which is probably better competition um than he'll see um during conference play so that's encouraging you know the fact that he's like seeing tougher competition and still playing really well uh he went two for four against tennessee one game it's not going to tell you a whole lot but um that's that's probably the best pitching he'll see is against tennessee so um so yeah, I think what, seeing uh, Wilson against better competition, um, not only this year, before conference play this year, but like after he gets drafted and hits the lower levels, um, again, it's like, are these skills going to translate? You know, that's, that's the biggest thing. So like what I see so far, um, but waiting for that next level, you know, like what's going to be the next shoe to drop, the next thing to develop.
1: Yeah, so um I think that's a I think that's a good call especially the competition piece there in the Mountain West I believe for Grand Canyon. So that's good to know. I think Shaw um like I said I right now I kind of prefer Shaw's uh player profile to Wilson, but I'm I'm watching both of them uh closely. I there's something about Shaw overall um that I think that that versatility piece plus the power that he's shown and like i said having that back control having that ability to go um to the gaps uh with power there's something about that, that i think again it may not be a superstar profile um but i i i, I could see him with the right org that really unlocking into something special um and and him having that uh defensive versatility that actually adds value that multi-positional piece where they're going to work him into the lineup some way shape or form you know whether it be second short third center field left field whatever um so yeah straw is somebody that i, I kind of put him in that ret louder space of i kind of have his name circled and i just want to see he might get a ton of healing and just be outside of you know where i would be able to draft him but he could fall to a nice spot where yeah he's a guy i want to go after so um matt shaw jacob wilson uh that wraps up our college baseball preview um for dynasty it'll be interesting obviously to see how all of these players and, and players that we didn't get a chance to mention all progress i think about um a guy like carter young who came into last season super high draft pick right like stock was super high and then had a awful 2022 and really saw his draft stock plummet so that's always a risk, but then we have a guy we've mentioned him multiple times already, and Zach Neto, who really saw his profile rise because of what he did in in twenty twenty two. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, who's the who rises, who falls, um, and uh, and who you know, what other names do we come back to? Hopefully, we can do like I said, a College World Series preview, and there might be some names that we didn't get a chance to mention that that really stick out by that time of the year. Um, that's the show. Anything for you to promo, Jake?
2: Well, we kind of teased that at last episode, but I am doing the top ten shortstops for Pitcher List and uh, our as part of our dynasty rankings. So um, that'll be published uh, this week; should be out uh, when this podcast is published. Um, so definitely go look for that. Uh, other than that, um, articles here and there. Uh, I think that's my focus right now. But I'm on Twitter at Jake M A I S H.
1: Cool. Um, I did just have the um top second baseman. Again, I stole that from you, Jake. Um, but I had the top second baseman um dynasty prospects uh, article published last week, so that is out and about for you to read. Um, as we're again as the season is kicking off, we we will be back. Uh, we'll be starting our weekly um sort of uh, publication. Uh, dates so you'll be hearing from us weekly on thursdays or the plan so make sure again uh like i always remind you guys finding this podcast all of our picture list pods on the picture list network podcast page they're all available for you to uh, find listen and subscribe in that podcast section of picture list so you can subscribe that way you don't miss as we go to a weekly schedule with the season starting um and you can find me on Twitter, of course, at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. That's the show. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed the rest of your day.